Hello, this is Matt Scalisi. And this is Francesca Scalisi. Very sick. I think your I think your voice is a lot better than it was this morning. So. That's true. I'm not very sick. I just have been sick. So as Francesca pointed out before we just started recording, this will probably be the first time that we've done a podcast that's about a movie that anyone else has seen. I know. Ben, you might have company and people listening. <laughs> more than more than Ben I just, I just, is listening. I just actually do this podcast pretending like we're talking to Ben. Yeah. It's like we had lunch with him. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, so we're talking about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Correct. Um, we just came back fresh and you, from the and, cinema. And just to... Uh, just as a primer, I guess we we both have read the book. We both are pretty pretty f- big fans of the book. You're definitely a bigger fan than I am. Of I, but I have read the book, and, and I so have read it somewhere in the neighborhood of like five or six or twelve times. So we both knew what was coming, and it's true. But I also would say that in terms of our the way that we have viewed the film series so far, we're not really that into judging the films in terms of how close they are to the book. Correct. So, <clears throat> I mean, I guess let's just start off. Let's let's just go scene by scene, I guess, because what? I think that's the best way. It was a two and a half hour movie. What I, I just mean, you know, going, going through some individual moments that I thought were done really well, because to me, that's what strikes me. I, I don't really want to talk about the story all that much, because we both knew the story already coming in. Right, but there were some discrepancies that I just want to touch on. I'm not going to okay, be like annoyed well, go about ahead. it. Let's do that first. Well, no. I like your scene by scene. First of all, the iconic zooming into the WB logo. Well, was, I don't mean that specifically. I know, but I'm just saying that was actually very neat because, of course, you're used to in happier times that coming up and then dun, 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 and they make you wait for it and wait for it and then the logo is all decrepit. Come on, Warner Brothers. Put your stamp on there. That's fine. There was so much to say about the logo. The studio was, logo. I'm just saying. I noticed it. Anyways. Well done, sirs. Anyways. And madams. But not so, madams. Oh, crap. I don't know. Anyways. What I wanted to talk about was, for instance, the opening scene of the movie, which is the the kind of uh, meeting there in the Malfoy mansion. That's not the and, opening scene of the movie. What's the first scene in the movie? Well, the first stuff is when they're all sort of saying goodbye to their families. Well, okay, well, Hermione and I mean, Harry that's a are. very, very much a silent prologue. There's nothing really happening there. Although in the book, all right, go ahead. No, with I was your just first discrepancy. Say, no. I had no idea we were going to get this detailed. We don't have to. No, no it's okay. Go ahead. No, I just, I just, I did sort of hate that we, and I understand, and I do understand why the filmmakers, you know, make the cuts they do and everything, but Harry saying goodbye to the Dursleys was actually quite a poignant and um, I think like the first of eight million times I was moved to tears in the book. And But I understand why they did that. Well, we obviously don't have time to resolve every storyline right. and that's one that I don't think is that crucial that we resolve that storyline. And then there might even be a moment for that to be resolved in the second no. in the second part. There isn't. I think there might be. There isn't. Um... So anyway, right. So the the um, Malfoy's mansions. Yes, that was very well done. Um, they had to explain. They they did a lot of uh, ex- exposition with uh, Voldemort's little speech there. The whole thing about the wands being twin wands is something that is actually revealed 
uh, a little bit later in the book, but of course it's revealed by action. The whole and they do show it in the movie when Harry's wand sort of seems drawn to his well, when they're on the motorbike. Yeah. Look, when we have two movies here, we're splitting this into two movies. We don't have time really to to have certain aspects of the story reveal themselves over the course of both movies. I think you have to get some stuff established right up front. Let's figure out what's going on. Let's set this up and then we'll go, you know, because you can't just leave everything confused and unresolved and we don't know what's going on or why these things are happening in the first movie. So, you know, I think it was good to get that out of the way. I think the, you know, to me, what one of the things that jumps out in that scene is, um, when, when you have, um, I'm forgetting her name, but the Bellatrix, Helena Bonham Carter, and I just think she, you know, she has a relatively small part in, in all the movies, but, but particularly here, she doesn't get that many scenes and she's just so good. She's, she's so good at this role. She's so perfect for it. And like her first little scene where she, where she's just, uh, over exuberant and then gets all withdrawn. It's almost, I mean, it's kind of cartoonish, but I just, you know, from the get go, you start remembering, okay, man, we've got all these great characters in this story. And Brendan Gleeson, uh, mm. comes in right off the bat. Obviously he doesn't get a whole lot of screen time, but he's really good in his little scenes too. Um, you know, I'd be interested to hear somebody who hasn't read the book and how how well they understood what what was going on with the multiple Harrys and why they were doing it that way well, because they really rushed into that. Well, that's always my thing with these films is that, you know, for me, you know, having read all the books and everything, they're always just companion pieces. So I often wonder, gosh, like, if you don't know the story, if you don't have that framework already within you, like, how much of this are you getting? Because it is such a lot of information. And, you know, on the on the other hand, like, that scene played funnier on film than it does in the book. Yeah, well, the book it did. is a little funny, but it's funny to have, like, a room full of Daniel Ratcliffe's, and he was kind of making some choices that he was still sort of conveying, like, Ronness and Hermione-ness a little bit. And, mm-hmm. like, that was kind of fun. And, you know, that was, that was nice of them to have that moment of levity in what's, you know, ultimately a very dark and bleak film. Now, I think um, one of the things that, and this is probably the thing that bugs the most, bugs most people who are fans of the book, that is a discrepancy here in the film, is that they play, I'm just skipping ahead, sorry Matt. It's fine. But that they played up this love triangle between Harry and Hermione and Ron. Now, in the book it is conveyed that Ron has these misgivings and is uncomfortable with how close Harry and Hermione are. And and they I think they made reference to the fact that, like, sort of like the ring in Lord of the Rings, like, the, the person who's wearing the locket... Yeah, it was definitely down. in the book. No, but I'm saying they played up the element of... Like, it was ambiguous as to whether Harry and Hermione actually did have something going on. And in the book, that's... You always know that, no, they're just, you know, close buddies. You're saying in the movie other. you thought it was ambiguous? They played it... I think if you didn't know, if you didn't have the book in your mind, I think uh, you might honestly think that Harry had a little thing for Hermione. I don't agree. I think so. I don't think so. There I were, think the dancing... There were a few moments where I really thought, are they going to make them kiss? The dancing they, scene was just 
very platonic and nice, and it was no, just them being. It was I, just him you trying and I to. I know that, but I'm saying I think the filmmaker. I'm trying to view it with like virgin eyes, and I think the filmmakers were purposefully trying to play up that angle of because I mean maybe it's just because I'm a girl and you're a boy, but there really were moments where I was like, oh oh my gosh, are they about to make Harry and Hermione kiss? Because they had these little lingering moments between them, and I am of course armed with the information which I was surprised that they left out of the film. I believe it's in the in the book after they destroy the locket that, you know, like on their way back to the tent, Harry's like, Ron, I've all I love Hermione, but I've always loved her as a sister. She's just a sister to me. I've never loved her as anything more than that. And there is like a moment where Harry like says to Ron, like, You've got it all wrong. Like she's just, you know, always been so close to me and my best friend, but and I was surprised they left that out, which again points to the fact that I think the filmmakers were trying to play up that angle a little bit. And make it so that you, if you haven't read the books, or even if you have, and you're just going like, what are they doing? You might think that they were kind of trying to hint at Harry having little feelings for her. Which, I'm sorry to disappoint you, podcast listener, if you are one of those people who thought that was maybe it. That is never the intention of the story. Thank you. Yeah, and by the way, let's, for the sake of spoiler... Well, it's a little late now. No, but we're not... We're going to spoil anything that happens in this movie. But let's not talk about anything that happens in the second half. Right. Which, see, now I'm worried... Again, I'm always thinking about Ben Flanagan listening to this. And maybe he thought that that was going to come up. Sorry. Well, no. I'll put a warning out with any any place before somebody listens to this. But we... Just so you know, in this podcast, we're not going to talk about anything that happens in the second half. I know, but by film. saying that there never was anything between Harry and Hermione, I might have ruined that for someone who thought. Well, the filmmakers make it seem uh, like there arguably might have been. you could say that, but <laughs> I don't think it's. I think it's fair. I think it's totally fair. Um, so, but I think that is about the only major discrepancy. <clears throat> yeah, the only thing which that again wasn't even that major. It was just an implication, well, I, and I don't agree. It's there, but whatever. So, the 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 scene. I want to I want to move on to talk about another scene. To me, the real standout sequence in the movie is the three brothers sequence, and I just think it was so well done. I think it was so cool to do it that way, and it, well, it's you know it's become less weird and less shocking these days. And I really you can kind of point back to Kill Bill Volume One to the time when it became okay to say. When we're going to break away and tell a little story in the middle of our movie, that we can do it, we can do it, we can do it in animation. Uh, to me, it I feel like I've seen that a lot more lately since Kill Bill One came out, and that's a little bit what you get here. And it's it's very stylized. I just thought that was so cool oh, how they did that. I was I think I was pinching your elbow. That was really. Yeah, and, and then it sort of made me start reflecting to myself. I was like, you know, these movies are, are have so much story to tell. And certainly probably in the last, you know, two or three of them, the visual style gets kind of, you know, pushed off to the side. But, I mean, these movies have made some really good choices in how to convey stuff. But that was, I mean, heads and tails. Heads and tails? I don't know. Heads and shoulders? What do you say? Yeah. That was, fun. like, really, like, the most cool and stylized thing they've done in these films. But, like I said, it did make me go... They've actually been doing a lot of that along the way. Like, they've really been using a lot of style to tell these stories. Yeah. But that was, and that was so cool because it was, like, kind of a little Edward Gorey-ish, that it was, like, spindly and it was really and Victorian looking. It was really the, but, but also the, creepy, the, you know? The story itself, though, because to me, when I remember reading it, 
I remember thinking it was a little bit convoluted and and a little bit on the complicated side. And I feel like they told a very quick fable-esque version of that story. And it's all you needed to know. Because to me, that's part of, part of if you want to say there's a disadvantage to the book, it gets weighed down in its own mythology and details, mm-hmm. as does any book, you know. <clears throat> and that really stripped all of that off, and it was just like, here's the, here's the deal with the, with the Deathly Hallows. It's very simple. You're not going to really need to know any details other than this. And you also get that aha moment of immediately going, okay, well, so we know what one of the three things is. And, you know, you're starting, there's not too much mystery in it. When, by the time you get to the end of the story, you kind of, it's already hooked in to the, to the main Harry storyline. You know where it's going to come in. And, uh, you know, you just, well, yeah, you just see the connection. So, Uh, you know. Now, the reason I gasped when you said like, oh, this was, I want to talk about this scene is because I thought you were going to talk about this scene. Tell me. Bethilda. Yeah, very uh, good, creepy scene. Now, knowing where that was going, Matt and I were, like, holding each other and crying. Because in the book, I think that was probably the scariest scene. She That was, like, her yeah. Stephen King moment. Like, it's a big shock when book, you find out so that, she's, that she's dead. It's a big shock. Because you do just... You don't really see it coming in the book. That Well, that, and you don't really see it coming, I don't think, in the movie. We knew it was coming, but... Right. I mean, and, and they did, again, with the visual style, they had that moment where she kind of, like, crumbled into a corpse. Which yeah. Which actually, in the, in the book... <clears throat> the snake comes out of a dead body. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the snake had basically animated a corpse. It had gone inside a dead body and was And, like, comes out of her mouth. Oh, which, that would have been a little so too... Scary. It would have been a little too gross, I think, for the movie. But, but. it was... But, oh. And, I, you know, I noticed this. When she first shows up... Well, not when she first shows up. They see her from afar in the graveyard... But then when she's, like, right next to them when they turn around, I noticed that they had mixed in a little bit of a sound of, like, flies buzzing. Which oh, I yeah. Thought, oh, oh yeah. that's so creepy. Yeah. It's, oh, that was so scary. Um, I was afraid. We're just jumping around. But what, what do you think about <coughs> what do you think about the Cockney Snatchers? They're like, all right, my lovely. Well, I think that's. Always grabbing Hermione's face and stuff. With that you were a snatcher. <laughs> Should be. We should disclose. What? What? We should disclose, dear podcast listeners, that Matt has a little thing for one Miss Hermione Granger, who's like a hundred uh, years younger than him. I wouldn't say I have a thing for her. I just think she's really great. I think nah, she's... Maybe cute has come up. She's pretty cute. <laughs> she is cute, but I'm just saying, I really... She's just an actress that I like. Mm. Okay. Nasty old man. By the way, I'm sure she's of age. Not that it matters. Ew, uh, I'm sure up. she is. Like barely. <laughs> it's like twenty one and two days or something. Nasty. Anyways. Nasty old man. Where um, anyways, um I think that was kind of I think they were uh supposed to be, you know, working class stiffs. Yeah. And then of course you got Yeah, because they're just because they're just doing was. it for the money. Yeah. Right. What about, um, uh, I want to touch on the ministry scene because that had a lot of good tension to it too, I thought. And it, it that, to me in the book, uh, that's what that whole scene is about is just, they kind of go in there with no plan really. They're just walking around mm-hmm. in disguise and just figuring, you know what, we'll get in there and we'll figure out what to do. And it's, it makes you so nervous reading it because you go, this can't end well. Right. And I think that they really pulled that off well in the in the movie. It was definitely 
It felt like a yes. It, there was a lot more that goes on in that scene in the book, but I feel like they they got the big moments and it definitely the pay the payoff at the end where the woman kisses Ron, thinking she's his husband. Yeah. Her husband. That but, was great. That was that, pull, is, that was pulled off well. Yeah, but that was uh, films. That was uh, liberties being taken by the filmmakers. No, I think that happens. No, they don't. I don't think they um, transfigure until like right as they're leaving. Oh, right. But she does kiss him though. Maybe. I, I think remember. so. I think so. But of course, Rupert Grant is always always good for making a beleaguered face <laughs> when you need one. But I, I you know, it, it's an interesting thing that is uh, happens in these stories where you've got people, you know, acting as other people because you've got your polyjuice potion happening, mm-hmm. and it's happened a few times now. And I thought, and I and I vaguely recognized all three of those adults, you know, ministry people who were acting. As Hermione and Ron and Harry acting as them, you know, which kind of blows your mind when you think about it. But, you know, I think, like, I think even they were kind of somebody's because I did recognize them. I think they are, like, you know, working actors, not just nobodies. And I think they actually acted the parts well of being, like, a little awkward in their skin. Because yeah. They're, and, like, like the guy who oh, was well, Harry you know. who was doing, like, a weird, like, stinted sort of walk. Stinted? Look, I, think, I don't know. I, I think used words that I yeah, don't know. The guy, that was, the guy that Harry was was great. He did a... That was the funniest one, I think. That he was, like, really trying yes. hard to... Like, it was clear that he was very uncomfortable the way he was walking. Yeah. And they didn't really convey in the movie that he was actually supposed to be, like, um, a bad guy. Like, not right. a Death Eater, but he was, like, you know... He was One of the, the bad ministry guys. Right. Not, like, you know, uh, Hermione and... Uh, well, then Mafalda, that sort of indicates that that's a bad guy, that name. But I think, you know, Runcorn was supposed to be a figure of, you know, they were all nervous around. Right. Which they sort of indicated when he came out of uh, What's-Your-Name's office. Mm-hmm. And they all kind of jumped to attention. And it was just Harry. And he was like, eh, back to work <laughs> or something. Because they didn't even know the people who they <coughs> were pretending right, to be. Right, yeah. Um, all right, I want to... I want to bring up another scene, notable Sorry. scene that comes to mind, which you mentioned it already, but when Ron destroys the Horcrux, there's a, right, a bit of a racy little animation there. I don't know what that was. Do you, is that over the top for a PG-13 movie with, like, young people in it? Uh, no. I mean, Didn't make Lord. you uncomfortable? I think think of other PG thirteen movies. Well, how about this? And what happens in them? It wouldn't they wouldn't bat an eye if it was in a Twilight movie, right? In a Twilight movie, it's like oh, it's breakfast. Somebody take their shirt off, quick. <laughs> yeah, and I, mean, I knew the fangs would come out at Twilight. Yeah, well, yeah, the fangs. Oh, uh, no pun fangs intended. Fangs for noticing. No pun intended. Huh. Um, no, I mean, I you know, look, the indication is. That it's supposed to be all the things that Ron fears the most. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's PG-13. It's if what's you brought going your seven-year-old, yeah. that's your fault. Right, You should I have agree. brought a seven-year-old. And, you know, as PG-13 movies go, I think these are actually, you know, PG-13 because no, no they're scary. Well, there's a little bit of blood, and there's, yeah, and it's scary. But there's no swearing or anything. Mm, I think they use British swears. Did yeah. they bloody? Can you not say that over there? Yeah, and I think git's a little rude, too. Git. That's not, that can't be that bad. I don't know. But... Yeah, um, I think it's mostly because it's it's too scary for little kids. I want to mention because I just I was about two minutes ago, but just because we're talking about every British actor ever being in this yeah, movie, no kidding. Uh, Chris Finch from the original BBC Office makes a little cameo in the opening sequence at the Malfoy Mansion. He, you can see him in the background. I didn't catch him. You didn't see yes. Chris Finch? 
you did lean and tell me that. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> We're five minutes into the news, Harry Potter. Keep your mouth shut, sir. Um, I kind of want to talk about where they ended it, but I, uh, other than, I don't want to, oh, see, I was, I don't want to get too far into that because other than to say that I thought they ended it appropriately because, uh, and no spoilers, I promise, but that is a, that is definitely a divide in the action and, Basically, the moment where he's burying, uh, where he's burying Dobby, becomes it's very clearly marked in the book as a turning point, Mm. and sort of is where he makes his emotional, mental decision of what he's going to do in the second half. So, to me, it made sense to end it. Yeah, I was surprised. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was ending after they destroyed the locket. I I don't know. For some reason, that's what I thought it was. Um, But I would like to touch upon. Because somebody, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook was like, oh, yeah, like, the stuff in the forest was just as boring in the film as it was in the book. I didn't think so. I thought it was much more boring in the book. Well, and because I was thinking about it, I think in the book it's, like, five chapters of them just in the forest. It's snowing. They're cold. Like, not, um, you know, like, nothing happening. But I was thinking, I was kind of reflecting on that before we saw the movie, thinking, like, I was, like, braced to not like all that stuff and... Because it was so, it was really hard to read in the book because it is just like, you know, in a series where everything has just been action and plot, always, like, you're never bored reading a Harry Potter book. You're kind of bored, and this is the last book, and nothing is happening, and it's just like, whoa, it's such a shock, it's such a smack in the face to get to this point in this series that's been riveting, and, you know, even if it's not, like, action happening, there's kind of a mystery being solved or relationship stuff going on that's very interesting. Like, it was the first time I'd ever been bored. And I was thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, the difference in this story from all the other books in the series is that in all the other books, Harry is being pursued. And this is the time that he finally goes, I'm going after, I'm going to go after Voldemort. Yeah, and, and he's kind of hanging then, back for a while, too. Well, it's not that he's hanging back, it's that he doesn't know what to do. Right. And in the book, it's so painful to read, but you think about it, and if this man has, you know, this man, this boy, Harry, has got it in his head that I'm going to go destroy Voldemort... What is going to be the most, like, heartbreaking and just terrible thing that could happen to him is not battle, it's the nothingness. Like, that's the part of the hero's journey that is going to be the most difficult is when your hands are tied and you don't know what to do next and you have no guidance and you're just, you're just stumped. He's finally made up his mind, I'm going to go, I have to be proactive and go after Voldemort. I can't keep waiting for him to come after me. And then he can't do anything because he doesn't know where to go. And that, of course, in the book is played up much more that, you know, that Dumbledore hasn't left instructions or, you know, if he has, they're very cryptic. And there's, you know, and that sort of inner turmoil, that's sort of what you're missing more in the film than in the book, you know, even just the film up to this point, is that Harry's really struggling with what to do. Yeah, I think the movie is actually much lighter in tone than the book was. Yeah. I think it's a lot more fun. I think they boil down the stuff in the forest to the actually when something happens the important moments the important details you know well and that's what and that is the thing that is happening in the forest is that harry's starting to despair and he actually and (coughs) i I hope this isn't a spoiler but i think it would have happened already if it was going to happen in the forest he's reading rita skeeter's book right and you've also heard well we will hear we we, let me just say we will probably definitely hear the contents of Rita Skeeter's book in some point in the second film. But, just to touch on it lightly... Well, no, don't talk about what happens in it. No, I'm just going to say, 
that the conflict that Harry, because it is resolved pretty much with the Dobby thing, I think, but that, you know, he, he starts to question Dumbledore a little bit. And they touch on this a little bit because, you know, the old man who he meets at the wedding had written sort of an obituary for Dumbledore. Yeah, that wasn't very paper. clear, actually. Yeah, that was not very clear. And he had written this very glowing and beautiful thing about Dumbledore, and Harry was really happy, you know, to read it and sort of made him feel good about it. But then Rita Skeeter was writing this book that was, you know, supposed to be scandalous, which, of course, she is sort of a gossip rag writer. And so Harry doesn't know what to make of these two competing stories. Right. And it becomes more of a struggle, you know, the more he learns about these two stories. Right. And that's sort of, I think, what's going on in the forest mostly. Like, that's pretty much the entire... Well, I think they gave us some of that. They definitely had Ron was doing more of the doubting of Dumbledore's plan and saying, I don't think he knew, I don't think he had a plan, he didn't give you any ideas, you know, he just, he just left you to it. So, but that's, I mean, but I don't want to get into that anymore. I I think, I think we need to stop talking about anything else about Dumbledore. You know, we've had this conversation before about whether or not it's better to have read the book first and then see the movie or not. And I think... I, I think you miss a lot of the nuance of the story <clears throat> if you don't read the book. I probably and agree. I having I done a both. Lot having the movie on my own, having read the books. Having seen the movies before I read the books, and now, and now having seen some of the movies after having read the books, I think I enjoy the movies more after I've already read the books. That, that had... Those have been... Now... Coincidentally, those have also been better movies, but I think it, in, it also has increased my enjoyment of the movies to have read the books beforehand. Yes, but, but, but you the, know. the key is not to reread them before the movie. That has been my experience. Yeah. Because if you've just read it and it's fresh in your mind, you go crazy over all over the details. Yeah. Although, I kind of do anyways, obviously. So, Any um, other points you wanted to bring up? Um... No, I just, I do think it was, I think, I think all of it was a little watered down, like, because there was a lot of high emotion in the book that was left out, because, you know, this book, this when you experience this book, you're crying within, like, the first, you know, 20 pages. Some of us are. And then are. you're crying again, and, like, like, the whole thing with Hedwig... It was very emotional. No, I'm glad they did that in the movie. Who gives a crap about an owl? But you should care. No, I didn't though. I didn't care in the book. I rolled my eyes in the book. Like they kind of just were like Mad Eyes Dead. Yeah, they downplayed that. Whatever. And like that was like, and again, that sort of the way it's played up in the book sort of again feeds into Harry and Hermione and Ron's kind of despair when they can't get anything done when they're in the forest for you know months. I mean. I think the wedding is supposed to be in the summer, and then, you know, they go to Godric Hollow at Christmas, so they're in the, you know, they're supposed to be in the woods for, like, months and months and months. Right. You know, and they can't, and they're getting nothing done. They're just in the woods moving, trying to miss people, you know, and that, and that all, again, all that despair and guilt and everything, you know, you can get a lot more when you're dealing with internal monologues as opposed to, you know, film. But like I said, um, they, I think they did a pretty good job of it, and actually, you know, the scene... With Harry and Hermione dancing, you know, despite the fact that I think tonally in terms of their relationship, it was off. But maybe they were trying to be misleading like that. That was a very like I thought it was and, nice. like grown up scene. I thought it was great. Kirby really upset, and he kind of tries to get her out of it. And then you know, sort of <coughs> kind of abruptly after they're dancing for a little bit, and they have a little joy, and they kind of go right back to their, right. 
you know, dim. I just thought existence. I just thought that was a really nicely done scene. I thought it was great. Yeah, it was it was effective for sure. I I well, I didn't enjoy it because it was kind of sad, but it was definitely it was a nice little moment that they they chose to use to convey what was going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It certainly left me left me hungry for more. And well, and incidentally though, the whole it should be said since this was right at the end of the film, the Dobby burial scene is I think even your heart of stone probably cracked a little reading that in the book. That is heart wrenching in the book, which sounds really dumb because Dobby was an annoying. He's an CG obnoxious character, character, but he's in obnoxious the book, in the book too. He is, but but she writes that because you know, again, Harry's going through a lot and like his whole decision, like I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna bury him without magic and. You know, in the book, it's a very big deal is made of that, you know, Harry's, like, digging with his hands, and he's right. having this, like, really epiphany moment, and I don't know how you can convey uh, that. I thought film. they'd give him, I, I'll be honest, I did think they'd give it more emphasis in the movie. I thought they would make a bigger deal of that scene than they did, but I understand but moving it, on. Oh, gosh, you in, know? The, in the book, that was that was one of those times at, like, 3 o'clock when I was reading the book, and I was like, don't wake up that, don't wake up that, but I was, I was just weeping, just weeping. I thought they were going to leave the owl death scene out altogether because it's so insignificant if you're watching the movie. I mean, but, but you know, people. Oh no, but you know, people get all sad about animal. You can't no, kill no, an no. animal in a movie. He did make that throwaway point though that that's what gave him away, and I think yeah, that the owl came to him. And yeah. you know, in the book, he he doesn't actually like you know let him go fly. He actually has him in the cage right with him. So I think that's kind of the idea that. I think that is supposed to be what gave him away as the real Harry, is that, you know, for whatever reason, they let the bird, I guess to give the bird a little heroic <clears throat> moment to, like, you know, try to protect Harry, but she she's actually just in a cage in with him, and that's supposed to be, you know, what signified that it was actually him. So, oh, but I, t- I will tell you this, the one thing that was so cringeworthy to me was... Hi, I'm Bill. Nice to meet you. Which of course, know, yeah. He's known Bill he's, from the first movie. He's been in every book, yeah. And, and Mundungus, same thing. Mundungus has been in well, it, at no, least was from a, maybe book three. But he was a very, very minor character. Bill is like, really is brought up a lot. He's talked about. And, he's, and, he's, and, and he knows Harry. And they've never even mentioned his existence in any of the movies. I think and in then, the first movie, there's a picture of all I did, the, the family. Or the second yeah. movie, there's a picture of all of the Weasleys. I did think about that. But uh, it was, oh, I was the, just like, Going oh, into this movie, I did think about the fact that Bill is actually quite a prominent, I mean, not that prominent, but Bill serves, uh, he, he serves a present. function in the story in this movie and in the next movie, too. He's there. I mean, there's a purpose for him. And they haven't even brought him up yet. They haven't even cast him before this movie. To say, it's good to meet yeah, you, Yeah, good I'm to meet Bill. you, Bill. Like, yeah. they, should, they just shouldn't have even acknowledged <laughs> it. They should have just been like, he should have, Harry just should have been like, oh, hey, Bill. I think that would have been better. Right, saying, yeah. Like, it's nice to meet you, it would have, Bill. Yeah. It's Ron's brother. Like, he spends every summer with Ron, and he's never even seen a picture of Bill. Right. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, that made, me, that made me cringe. But I think Mundungus has pretty much been a character since... Maybe only since the but first isn't there book, another? But he's been there a lot. So where's the other Weasley brother in all of this? By the way, um, with the younger one that we already met in Goblet of Fire. Yeah. What's he doing? I think actually I can't remember. I don't. I, I don't think he's very prominent though. In they should have combined those two characters. To be honest, that's what they should have done. Well, you can't do that. Yeah, they should have done. I, it. There's I, too I many say, Weasley boys. Like, There's too many of them. Yeah, but they. I mean, like in Goblet of Fire. The you other, got the bad the one who's brother. working at the ministry. Oh, Percy, that's right. Yeah. There's too many of them. Well, at any rate. 
I just that I was like, why? Why is that the choice you made to have him introduce himself? Just have Harry say, "Hey, Bill," or one of the twins make something right, bro. You know, right. I mean, the guy's got red hair. We're gonna put it together. Like, if you don't, if you haven't read the books and you don't know who he is, yeah. But I mean, and that is, I mean, they painted themselves into that corner because. Bill and Floor. Well, first of all, the wedding is a you know much bigger deal in the book. Do you but think most people that watch this movie even remember that the girl he's marrying is the girl from Goblet of Fire? Is Fleur from Goblet of Fire? I don't if they if you only saw the movies, I they, mean she's, she's pretty distinct. They looking. barely show her. Yeah, she's she's appearing as Harry more <laughs> for more screen time than she is as whoever that French actress is. Yeah, well, I don't know, that, but that that was a whole thing because. You know, they're in this movie, and they will be in the next movie. Yeah. I'll just simply say that. And it's... And, and actually, in the book, you know, they're fairly significant in the sixth book. And I guess they weren't in that movie at all, right? No, they weren't in that movie. But, like, that's a whole through-line thing. Actually, I think so that, Fleur was, and Bill wasn't. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Because, you know, that's sort of how the, the second-to-last book ends, was them kind of, like, being like, oh, no, you got to come to the house for the wedding. Right. You know, so, like, the wedding is a very big set piece in the book. But, yeah, that just made me go, oh, come on. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Harry. I agree. I think that was funny. All right, well. Hey, you know, we never saw Mr. Weasley in this one. Uh, Yeah, we did, for a brief oh, yeah, moment. He comes in to see right. whichever, whichever of the twins it is that got their ear blown off. Right. Yeah. Well... But he is very easy to confuse. The problem is, that actor looks a lot like the actor that plays um, Professor the the Lupin. Lupin. No. Yeah, yeah, they look very similar. Mister Weasley's just a little bit fatter. Now, frankly, I was surprised they didn't say like, "All right, Harry, what's your Harry? It's me, Tonks." Because they gave her a totally now, different hair okay. color, and she looks so different. Let's not talk at all about Tonks and uh, Lupin any further. I'm not. I'm just going to yeah. say that I'm surprised. I mean, like, I'm surprised they didn't but, give more of an expository moment. We for should her. say that Tonks and Lupin is the blonde girl are, who was at the beginning. Are major. Tonks is a major character in the book. She has basically been completely cut out of the film series, but they they did throw in. A moment in this first movie that indicates that they're going to go ahead and resolve Tonks' storyline, even though she's barely even been in the movies. To me, my opinion is they should have left Tonks out of the movies completely from the get-go. They should have just completely left her out. Because if you're going to do it halfway like they have, it's just going to confuse things. It's going to make it sloppy. But whatever. I are we about to wrap it up? Is that what? Yeah, we're happening? wrapping it up. Then I would like to leave our listeners. I'm doing some air quotes around that because this is going out to one, the one listener that we can count on, and that is this. Oh wait, <coughs> she's coughing right now. <coughs> Read the books. <laughs> I'll leave you with those desperate words. <laughs> Read the books. Thanks for listening. <laughs>